drop. Hey there, everyone. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of StoryFort, and you're listening to StoryFort Presents Voices of Treefort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this year we were scheduled for March 2020 and then rescheduled for September 2020, but now we are firmly rescheduled for September of 2021. But hey, we're still here to tell you about all things Tree Fort. And today we have some really great folks. We have Ellen, John, and Michael from Project Drawdown, which is a program, it's a book, it's a bunch of workshops uh, on drawing down carbon emissions and, you know, slowing and eventually stopping climate change. So Alison Meyer and I sat down via Zoom with these fine folks to find out more about it. They uh, are scheduled for March 2021 as part of StoryFort, and um, they bring some really important messages on climate change and what we can all do to the world. So have a listen, and you can find out more about what they do at drawdown.org, as well as a few other spots we talk about in this conversation. We hope you're well. We hope you're safe. And it seems particularly apropos that we have the Drawdown folks on today because it's smoky in Boise and all over the West. And we hope folks are safe out there. And we hope, uh, gosh, you're mindful and uh, understand that uh, this is a serious thing. So have a listen and enjoy and talk to you soon. Okay, everyone, here we are with some folks from Drawdown. Um, I'm going to go with uh, some introductions first, but I'm not going to introduce them. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We'll start with, with Ellen. Ellen Bush, tell us about yourself and your role, like your role with Drawdown and kind of why you're doing this a little bit. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but who are you, Ellen? <laughs> so I am a lover of planet Earth, and I moved to Idaho full-time after coming here for almost 20 years in the last, within the 2000s. And then I also lived here in the 80s. So I've become a fall in love with Idaho person a long time ago. And when I came here in 2018 to live full-time in Garden Valley, I came already with a, an introduction to Drawdown from my work uh, in Central California with the Pachamama Alliance. And the Pachamama Alliance worked closely with Paul Hawken. And so when the book was published, Drawdown, in 2017, they got busy developing some workshops to have a wider audience for this research work when it was published because it's a beautiful coffee table book. And the Pachamama Alliance right away said, oh, oh, can't have this on the coffee table. How can we get folks to engage? So they immediately started their development of the workshops. And I had the privilege of being trained with the Pachamama Alliance staff in 28, late 2018. And so when I came here, I was, I was hoping to meet some people that would be interested. And John Bruick was the first one I met in, uh, January, February of 2019 at the uh, Climate Summit at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Garden City. And we were in a Citizens Climate Lobby breakout session, 
And much to my surprise, they showed a video of Project Drawdown within their session. And so I just raised my hand and said, gosh, I'm just recently trained to start this. So is anybody interested? And John Bruick and I struck up a conversation and that was the beginning. Nice. Well, that's, we can go hand it off to John then. How did you, or who are you, first of all, John? And how'd you get involved yourself? Well, um, <clears throat> I've always had a love of the outdoors and nature. And uh, it's kind of hard to believe because I grew up in the inner city of New Jersey, <laughs> right across from New York City. And, uh, but I always loved to get outside. And, you know, we had a little lot next to our house and I used to chase grasshoppers and look at the <laughs> wildflowers. And my grandfather was great. Um, botanist who would grow beautiful flowers in our garden and I've just had this love of the outdoors my whole life and I matriculated to Idaho in 1980 um, from New Jersey and um, been here ever since and I've worked with uh, the health districts and um, most of my career was with Idaho Department of Environmental Quality and uh, I've always had a love of doing something good for the environment, doing something good for the earth, um, kind of pro bono work for the earth. <laughs> and um, so when I retired in 2015, I looked for a way to continue that. And um, I found uh, that the Pope had written this book called Laudato Si, and it's called uh, Pope Francis's book, uh, Care for Our Common Home. And so I... I got together with one of our priests at St. Mary's, Father Camacho, and we put together uh, workshops on how we could bring Laudato Si to the people. And uh, we had about four workshops, and they were very successful. And I think it helped with the um, movement to get 100% carbon-free in Boise. And then it kind of lost steam. And... Um, and, you know, we couldn't keep the momentum going for one reason or the next. And then I went to this workshop that Ellen spoke about and met, met Ellen. And she said, well, let's give it another go. So here we are today. <laughs> nice. Well, we also have Michael Foreman here in the Zoom zone. So tell us about yourself, Michael. Uh, so I'm born and raised in New York City, uh, moved to Boise in 2018 as well, uh, January 2018, and uh, really came out here to kind of similar stories with Ellen and John, uh, to be able to make a difference for the planet is the number one reason that led me to Boise. Uh, I own a sustainability consulting company as well, yeah. and uh, really been focused on reducing food waste, and uh, now I'm working a pretty big energy efficiency project. But uh, yeah, coming into coming into drawdown, I have a very interesting story that I'll tell probably a little later as we go on. But uh, coming into drawdown, I actually my friend Ben, who also owns another sustainability company focused on recycling uh, construction materials and repurposing them cool. uh, into tables and chairs and all this really cool uh, equipment that he has. Uh, he invited me to a drawdown session um, at Saint Alphonsus, where John, Ellen, and Mark, who's not with us, were presenting and kind of fell in love with the whole process. And at the end, people, there was a call for anybody who wanted to volunteer. So I signed the volunteer list. And um, here we are about a year, about a, close to a year later, I want to say. And I'm uh, definitely, definitely excited about the work that we're doing. 
Yes, yeah, so are we. And also with me, as mentioned in the intro, is Allison Meyer. Hi, Allison. Hello. How are you doing <laughs> in the midst of a pandemic? You know, I'm here. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> and one of the cool things we get to do, I mean, Drawdown was obviously going to be and is going to be, you know, sort of a component of Story Fort um, as we now move into the, the new plan of uh, September of 2021. Um, and we're excited to, like, really showcase a lot of environmental issues and conservation issues. Um, we were in March and we were in September of 2020, but now we're just going to wait a little while. But there's a lot of stuff going on in, in the city of Boise and a lot in the state and just the region that you all, you know, dive into and, and study and look for solutions about. So I think John and Mike are going to kind of talk about some of those issues, um, maybe to give us an overview of what what's going on out there environmentally um, and maybe how the Drawdown project and book and just overall movement is looking to help that, you know, and how it can a little bit. Maybe we should uh, explicate the definition first. Oh, that's true. You got a point. Um, you, sh you should be Drawdown <laughs> is the word that instead of drawing down your bank account, yes. <laughs> it's the idea of drawing down emissions, bringing, yes. bringing carbon home. So drawdown refers to the point in time when the mountain, the climbing of the mountain of emissions stops and we go down from the peak, drawing down mm -hmm. the carbon emissions and bringing carbon home. And uh, the, the focus is on the, what are the actual practical solutions that can make that happen? Right. So you guys look at where we are now or where we might be going in the near future and then how to take measures to bring that that level down right. um and right. so yeah and just to well, loop back i guess with the region and the state and the and the city um what's going on out there that is you know looking to help draw down draw down yeah and i would say that um to give you give everyone a little background you know the american west it's it's a, a water limited part of the united states mostly totally dependent on snow and the size of the snowpack and as everybody has seen, the snowpack has been diminished over the last 20 years. And that can be evidenced in the shorter ski seasons at Bogus Basin. Hence, um, Brad Wilson uh, picking up the ball to keep Bogus going and doing the whole summer activities at Bogus with more mountain biking and running the lifts and that sort of thing, just to keep that beautiful nonprofit going up there uh, because uh, – you know, the snowpack isn't there. And then he's also been able to build snowmaking and um, they put in a, a big basin up there so they can do more snowmaking when it gets cold. And uh, so that's, you know, a very big part of it is that we're just not getting the snow we really need. And the mountains are this big reservoir that catches the snow and then it melts gradually. And it's the perfect way to um, refresh our high desert. And uh, the other evidence is, is that when we don't have that beautiful snowpack, then we get these unprecedented wildfires. And um, not only from, you know, uh, lightning strikes, but when us humans get careless with our fires. Uh, and for instance, the Pioneer Fire up north of Idaho City ran all the way to Loman and burned 200,000 acres of beautiful, beautiful forest, you know, 
Douglas fir and Ponderosa pine and Engelman spruce and and it was a great park and ski area for people to go cross-country skiing and and um, by no means is it ruined I mean I still mountain bike up there and um, instead of seeing the beautiful forest now I have beautiful views of the mountains all around and in the uh, and in the spring from the ashes beautiful wildflowers arise so um, people should still go up there and have fun because um, it's just uh, the reality of the climate crisis and what we have to deal with and how we have to adapt and the last thing I'll say is that um, our beautiful Redfish Lake up in Stanley, uh, named after the sockeye salmon uh, when they turn red to spawn, it's, mm -hmm. it's not red anymore. There's not many salmon getting up there. And there's a number of reasons for that beyond the dams. And uh, it's because the oceans are warming and they're getting acidic. And um, uh, then uh, when the salmon that make it to Redfish Lake and then breed and then have babies and then they go all the way out to the ocean, there's not much food for them to live on and they never mature and make it back again and the numbers are very much down. And the sportsmen that want to fish for salmon and steelhead, they have their fishing seasons, um, mm -hmm. you know, limited and maybe not at all. So uh, we have some big problems to deal with and Project Drawdown tries to deal with that in 100 solutions. And Michael may have more to add to that, but I just wanted to give that overview. Uh, particularly, Michael may speak about what's going on in Boise. Right, and for our worldwide listeners, um, Bogus Basin is a ski resort just outside of Boise. Um, it's the closest one, and it's, it's been very successful over the years, but has really suffered because the ski season has been very shortened. Um, yeah. I mean, and they have been doing other things, but now they have even more challenges with the uh, pandemic. So, you know, because the skiing is not happening and the other stuff is not happening so very much. But it's, that's, you know, near Boise as well as like Redfish Lakes. It's like about three hours from Boise, I'd say. And just a beautiful, beautiful place. With uh, It's had a crisis on its hands as far as like the fish and the actual redfish for some time. But yeah, Michael, what, what, what are your thoughts or additions to the, conversation here uh, well you know and i think it's just all building on everything that ellen and john brought up here uh, but yeah as you as you mentioned christian we are definitely having some challenges that john mentioned we're definitely having some challenges here in boise and there was a report put out uh by the environmental protection agency in 2019 uh, that actually showed that boise is the 13th fastest warming city in the country um, which is pretty astronomical in the in the long scheme of things and this report has been looking at the overall uh, average yearly temperature for the hundred roughly hundred biggest cities in the country and has found uh, based on that those averages that Boise's temperature has gone up about 3.8 degrees Fahrenheit over the last 40 years um, and I know a lot of people think you know warm places the southwest and a lot of those towns that are ahead of Boise are in the southwest We do have Helena, Montana also in our region. That's number eight And um, that's gone up a little higher than Boise So we're definitely starting to see a lot of a lot of these challenges and you know the more and more that that the earth warms and the more and more that our overall temperature rises because of increased carbon dioxide production and increased carbon emissions 
Um, we, you know, the, the effects that John just mentioned, we definitely think that these are going to only unfortunately get worse um, in the process. And while, we, while we're definitely not scientists on the drawdown team, um, we are people who are extremely committed to working, doing the work of drawdown and helping people find the solution or solutions that they are interested in that can make a difference for climate change here in Boise and the state and the region and you name it. Yeah, well, how does that work, I guess, as far as, so you're not scientists, nor are Allison or myself. Um, <laughs> and so how does it, the process work? How do they mean you send people directly to the information that's in the book written by um, Paul Hawken and he said 2017 is the publication date. And so it's not been out there in the world for that long, but I mean, how do you use the information of scientists um, and people like Paul Hawken um, and engage others who aren't scientists like ourselves? So what this can contribute is a very practical view of these, the solutions they researched are ones that are already being implemented somewhere. And what they did was study them in a way that maps them, how, where are they, what are they, describe them, model them to what would it be like if they were done to scale, and then they could es estimate or figure out the money it would cost to implement them, but the money that would be saved in the end, and how much carbon that solution, each one of these, they studied to this extent, how much carbon would be drawn down if this solution were done at scale? So this is a hundred of them studied in such detail that it allows the people in our workshops or anybody who gets the book to see the impact of all these solutions and see where they see themselves getting excited or passionate, as Michael is saying. Where, what turns me on? That's what I want to work on because all these solutions need to be done. And the thing of it is, they're so interesting because they are in different sectors of life and different sectors of society, some of which we don't often think of in relation to global warming or reducing global warming. And one of the biggest ones in that regard is food. Most people only think about energy or energy sources, but the food sector of many solutions is one of the top ones that has different aspects of food that make a huge impact on emissions or drawing down emissions. So we try to point out to people that there's this wide, wide range of solutions that really do make an impact. And many, many of them people in their, in their lives can do. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to be tropical rainforests where you don't live. You pick the ones that are right here and you get engaged in different ways with yourself or with others. And that's what we're trying to do is put out this like smorgasbord of all these amazing solutions that will have a great positive impact and, and try to motivate people to find their, their niche or their uptick. What right. more can you do if they're already composting? Okay, I didn't know this had anything to do with it. Oh my gosh, I'm excited about that. You know, yeah, and, and find something that, that, um, resonates and gets people excited. Right. And I mean, I, I'd be super curious to hear some of these specifics, like just in part, you know, certain sectors, I don't know, Ellen and whomever else, 
what do you do yeah. like specifically to give us like a few things that just for example, we don't have to go into the deep dive because that's part of the whole program. We won't have time to get into all this stuff, but I mean, like in the food sector, what are like maybe three or four things that people can do to, you know, if you engage well, them. I was going to tell my own personal story about number four in the list of a hundred. And then I'll be quiet because I've been talking a while now. That's okay. <laughs> so that is called plant-rich diet. So I tried to become a vegetarian twice before in my adult life and failed. And I think the reason I did was the first time I was uh, at an age when my hormone levels were already erratic and I chose eating a lot of pasta as my go-to, which didn't match my blood type. And I... I had to stop. I, I became unwell. Hmm. And then I tried again some years later and felt hungry all the time because I was just, you know, I was eating carrots or whatever. And I didn't know how to have a balanced diet with enough components of all the nutrients. So I failed again. So now I'm trying with not the idea of, of becoming something else or denying something else, but plant-rich diet, and I got into that with the drawdown. I thought, well, now that's a way to think about it differently. And now I'm learning ways to cook differently. And actually, Mark on our team is helping me a lot with lentils. And I'm learning lots of different things to make with lentils. I guess I just thought you cook them in a pot, and then that didn't inspire me. <laughs> right. What does all of this and um... That way, I have a very nourishing, tasty diet. And... I don't get upset with myself if once in a while I open a can of tuna, you know, I'm just trying to be plant rich. And it's number four out of a hundred solutions. It's just incredible. The amount of emissions that are from animal grazing okay. and raising and also the land use. So it's both of those and combining the amount of emissions from animal production and the amount of emissions from land use makes it 66 gigatons, which makes it number four on the list. I would be curious, kind of, again, getting back to solutions and if the others are, had a personal response to some of them that you want to talk about a little bit, too. I, I am really interested in hearing a little bit more about that. Sure. We do. Michael. We do. Um, so, and this kind of all draw, draws back, draws down <laughs> into another topic area as well. That's a that's a pretty key area of Project Drawdown. Um, so the, the actual work itself of the Project Drawdown book really talks about four different levels of actions that you can take. Um, there is the individual level, there's the friends and family level, there is the, sorry, just looking through notes, the community level and the policy level. Um, four different kind of areas that people can participate in inside of this quest to reduce carbon emissions. Um, and Ellen shared a great one from the personal level. Um, I'm actually going to talk from the next two levels, uh, friends and family and community. So super interesting for me. Uh, I told you I'd have an interesting story. So back as far, I guess not that far, back in 2011, I couldn't care less about the planet, if I could be honest. Uh, I wasn't sitting there dumping oil into oceans or doing anything like that, but really could care less about recycling, really could care less about any measure about the planet, it was irrelevant to me. Uh, but I had an interesting conversation with one of my best friends back in New York, and uh, we, we decided to start an organic urban flower farm in New York City, in the Bronx. Um, and this experience of restoring the health of the soil while building out an urban farm in New York City 
really woke me up to and turned me on to the overall understanding of doing something right for the planet and how when you do something right for the planet, the planet responds. Um, it was an incredible, incredible process. We took over an illegal garbage dump site in the Bronx and had soil that was essentially yellow, um, not like yellow like sand. It was disgusting. And within six months of taking the right actions, which included composting and opening up soil pockets and a whole host of other things, we had normal looking soil again. It was absolutely an incredible, incredible process. And really showed me and led me to a passion for sustainability that I never knew that I had. There's no way I would have uh, a sustainability consulting company right now. There's no way I'd be doing the work that I'm doing ever um, if it was not for that experience. And really, one of the big one of the big things with within here and Drawdown talks about this so well is within all these solutions, there really is, and Ellen uh, spoke about this as well, within all these solutions, there really is no end to this, um, to restoring the health of, of our home, planet Earth. And, you know, as Ellen mentioned as well, all the hundred solutions that are a part of the Project Drawdown book are crucial. But it doesn't mean you have to be doing everything. And I think that's the message that you so often see with sustainability is like you have to do a little bit of everything or else you're a terrible person. Uh, and that is just not true. Um, it's one of the most brilliant messages that Project Drawdown has is like, and as we've all hit on, is find an area or two that really excites you and make a small commitment and start taking action in it. And that, that was the big thing for me. We made a really small commitment to restoring the health of the soil. We didn't even know if we could do it. And as it went along, we made a bigger and bigger commitment and ran an organic flower farm for three and a half years in New York City. And um, that is such a crucial message of Project Drawdown is find a thing or two that really speaks to you within the work, make small commitments. And in the end, they could end up being much larger commitments that make a bigger scale difference. Yeah. What, what are you doing like specifically in Boise right now? Uh, myself. So I am running a, a large scale energy efficiency project uh, with one of our, one of the major utilities here in Idaho. Um, and we are currently on track to, with this project, reduce 10,000 tons of CO2 from entering the atmosphere every year. Um, and it's so interesting because I never thought of energy efficiency ever. Um, kind of in the same way as I never thought about the planet and energy efficiency is solution number 33 uh, among all the project drawdown solutions. And it actually makes a tremendous, tremendous difference. Um, we're, we're seeing that about not only for your power bill, of course, um, you know, swapping out lights and having more efficient HVAC systems and water pumps and all that good stuff, but also for the planet because what we're seeing right now is Probably every, every home is probably emitting about four tons of CO2 per year just in your appliances, just in your lighting, just in your HVAC system, your water pumps, your heat pumps. Um, so definitely, uh, definitely something that's, that's I'm passionate about and really, a really interesting, another really interesting solution within Project Drawdown. Nobody would ever think LED lighting would make such a big difference, but it, I'm sorry, LED lighting is solution 33. Um, nobody thought LED lighting would make such a big difference, but we're doing a large scale LED lighting project and it is making a big difference. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have all the solution numbers memorized? <laughs> You're throwing them all out there so easily. Uh, we were prepared for this. We were very prepared for this. Uh, and it, you know, all this really speaks to the next level of action, which is which is policy. Uh, there's definitely a strong policy component to to climate action. You know, getting our governments involved. And John, John, uh, John has a story to share himself. Yeah, and um, before I jump into that, I, I want to get into the community-based um, actions. And um, yeah, I would like to throw a plug out to the city of Boise because they're mm. doing quite a bit with the Boise City Climate Action Plan and uh, all the things they're doing with composting our, our lawn waste and uh, recycling our recyclables and uh, the orange bag program and the 20 mile farm where they're recycling biosolids and using them as fertilizer to grow crops to feed to animals. And uh, the, the city is doing quite a lot. And they have, uh, as Michael said, uh, a goal of going uh, carbon free energy by 2035, which, you know, to, to fuel the city, that would be pretty great. So that's the community level that that uh, we work on. And uh, and then the last one, as Michael said, is the policy level. And um, I, I really think this a House bill, H.R. 763, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act, sponsored by the Citizens Climate Lobby, which is a really great organization. And, and the other thing our Drawdown team likes to do is we like to amplify other environmental organizations' actions um, and what they're doing for, you know, uh, fighting the climate crisis. Because we're all this, you know, we're in this all together. And, um, you know, we all have to work together. And as Michael and Ellen said, um, every little bit helps, no matter what solution you pick or whatever you do, uh, it all helps. But this Ener Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act, H.R. 763, it's in the House of Representatives of the United States. Um, the Citizens Climate Lobby says that will be very effective. They have uh, scaled it out to reduce America's emissions by at least 40% in in the first 12 years. I really love that. I, I don't know, I, I haven't studied the calculation, but that's a wonderful thing if we can do that. And then um, the, uh, the act itself improves health and saves lives by reducing pollution that, you know, Americans breathe, like all this um, unhealthy air we've been seeing in Boise over the last couple of weeks. And I guess it's supposed to return in the next few days as the wind shift, you know. Um, there's some terrible fires down in California, Northern California. And as that smoke comes up to Idaho in a southwesterly direction, then we get unhealthful air. So this Carbon Dividend Act would help that too. Um, it's also good for the economy. Uh, they estimate it'll create 2.1 million new jobs in the um, clean energy sector, which is wonderful. It's also bipartisan because uh, it's market-based and Republicans and Democrats can both get behind it and they both can co-sponsor this bill and they have. And last but not least, um, 
the fees that are collected vis-a-vis uh, -vis a carbon tax for industries that choose to continue to burn carbon uh, will be returned to all of us in a dividend. So it's revenue neutral so that if we have to pay more for certain things, we'll get money to pay more for those things. But those things will be made with clean energy and help us draw down the carbon in the atmosphere and you know, hopefully reestablish that beautiful carbon cycle that Mother Nature has created and held together for the last 800,000 years up until the Industrial Revolution when we really started to add all this carbon into the atmosphere and threw it out of balance, and hence we have the climate crisis. Yeah, I'm curious. So what are maybe like some of those jobs that will be created or are being created right now? And we have Michael here who's already working in that sector. What, what else, you know, sort of is um, part of that job market or, and how much is it growing right now in Idaho and around the country or around the world? Good question. Um, I can speak to that at some level. So um, prior to starting my own sustainability consulting company, I was working with hotels, restaurants, commercial kitchens, stadiums, grocery stores on helping them reduce their food waste through, uh, through the company I was working for. We made an aerobic digestion machine that took their food waste uh, on site and essentially used the same bacteria and enzymes as the human stomach did to turn the food waste, uh, break down the food waste over and over again until it either returned to very small particles or water. And then all those small particles and water could be sent back to the wastewater treatment plant to be recycled for new water. It was an incredible process. Um, and definitely started to see an uptick. I mean, when we first started, geez, there was a whole crazy new technology that nobody had ever heard of. Um, by the time I ended up leaving the company, uh, we had 71 clients, including places like American Express, Citigroup, um, many Hilton hotels throughout the country. We had uh, the Barclays Center in New York was a client. So definitely starting to see organizations pick up more and more, especially, and this is an area I know John's very passionate about, especially with uh, solar energy. Um, you know, nowadays, where five years ago, you know, solar was expensive and it's still not essentially cheap to put up solar panels on your home. It's a lot cheaper and a lot more cost effective. But solar energy is coming in at pretty much the same or in some cases less per kilowatt hour to generate than standard electricity that typically powers people's homes. So you're definitely starting to see a big revolution in companies and organizations be willing to jump on the solar, the solar move and even utilities. I'm seeing a big push from utilities as well for solar. I think that's important to remember that uh, jobs can be generated from different strategies that such as what Michael's talking about that are the mitigation type jobs mm. or retraining people to build solar panels or do these kinds of machines or run a machine in the ocean that picks up garbage, all the mitigation type jobs. And then there's also a, a many solutions that have to do with living differently. For example, regenerative agriculture is a whole practice where we wouldn't be stripping the earth of all its nutrients by chemicals. We would learn how to grow our food in a way that the soil is renewed as well as it's more nutritious for us to eat. So that's, a, that's a, the kind of a job, whether one is a farmer or in some aspect of the whole agricultural world, if it would be a new way to do something 
so the mitigation jobs are one type of job and the the life-giving jobs are the ones where we would do things that aren't destructive to ourselves and to our habitat and that's just one example and we can find solutions that are that way i i see them really readily in the food world of how it's produced and how how we work with it so yeah there's, there's jobs in mitigation and there's jobs in doing things in a more life-giving way Cool. And I think that, I mean, that is great. And then maybe, maybe a specific, once again, there, Ellen, like within that sort of element, like, um, I guess, where, where have you seen this best at, like working best right now? Out there um, the re regenerative agriculture is a little bit new. So it's catching on in pockets, kind mm -hmm. of like permaculture started to catch on in pockets, sort of this, it's sort of in that same world. And permaculture can be done in smaller community gardens or in one's own backyard. And a larger scale of regenerative agriculture would be a person's farm or a whole region of farming where the soil would not be stripped and you'd, you rotate crops and you compost with natural things. And there are pockets, even in the, mid, even in the Midwest, where there's some family farmers that are having a, a wake up and once they experience it it's the, it's like whatever once it's experienced then the aha comes but of course the messaging from the monsantos of this world is very loud and money and so forth makes it very difficult but i have read some about some pockets of far actual farmers not just people in their with their backyard garden which is also important rotating crops and over crops and so forth that there's there's little pockets and that's how that's how any kind of big transformation starts. You all put on workshops about this kind of stuff. I'd love to hear about well, I, I've been to some of the I've been to one or two of the workshops in the run up to Story Fort and Tree Fort um, that got postponed, of course, but we would love to hear about how those are how those go and how people can get involved. So well, Michael, I, hit it. We're gonna do some Zoom workshops. This is exciting, and John uh, can definitely provide some kind of background to how our prior workshops have gone as well, and kind of you know participation and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we're it's, it's exciting. So over the you know COVID nineteen, obviously stopped you know in person events from happening for the most part, and um, we stopped ours. And uh, we have been working though for the last couple of months and really focused on uh, breaking down some of these individual solutions into one hour workshops. Uh, so we've been in the development process. We hope to have these one-hour workshops uh, available for people in October. And we're, we're really focusing on going into the individual solution, a breakdown, or a breakdown, uh, going into the individual solution, then talking about uh, you know, the overall concept of drawdown and how the principles of drawdown, of course, but really providing people with takeaways that they can use in their own life. So to make that a real example, um, our first workshop we anticipate is going to be focused on energy efficiency. And we're going to actually go into, like, it's, it's so simple, but it's not so simple, um, electricity generation. Most people just, you know, you flip your light switch and your lights go on, and you don't think about it any further than that. That's 99.9% .9 of people don't think about it any further than that, which is fine. You don't have to, right? Uh, but seeing, you know, being in this world on a day-to-day -day basis, um, there's so much more that goes into electricity generation. And it's more than just, you know, your 
flick on your lights, you spend a certain amount of power, you get paid for, you know, you pay a bill for it, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole cycle of uh, carbon emissions that go along with that. There's a whole cycle of power distribution, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not going to go crazy into any of that, but uh, definitely planning on giving people an overview of the world. And then, uh, you know, why, why taking actions to improve energy efficiency in your home can actually help the planet. Cause a lot of people don't think about that. You really think, Oh, if I swap out for led lights, it's going to reduce my power costs, which is valid and accurate and correct. Um, but there is a way bigger uh, impact when it comes to carbon emissions that are happening at the level of power generation. Uh, so we'll definitely be going into that. And then the plan is to literally provide participants with a checklist that you can take home with actions that you can take in your home to reduce your overall home energy emissions uh, in the yeah, process and too. increase energy efficiency. <clears throat> so yeah, There's several solutions that deal with right in the home and one of them is the light bulbs, but the others have to do with um, things like the kind of glass you use or the kind of insulation you use and, and whether you could imagine putting in a heat pump rather than a fossil fuel oriented heating system. Um, green roofs is another one. Net zero buildings is another one. And these are all in the buildings and cities sector. So we're gonna focus first of all on, on the in the home. And then the next two we're gonna do have to do with food. Back to you, Michael. I think there's just a lot that, as Ellen mentioned prior, and I think we've all been touching on, there's a lot of solutions that people would never think about. Um, that can really make a huge impact in the process for people. Um, and then another cool thing we have going on too is uh, we're actually, John mentioned the Boise Climate Action Division. We are actually meeting with them. Uh, next week, we're having a meeting with them and our goal is to learn more about their work and to kind of see how we can amplify it. Um, that really, as John mentioned, that really is a big piece of the work that we do is Yes, we want to offer these workshops and we love offering these workshops and you know, people are getting a lot of value out of them, but we want to be able to provide opportunities for people to participate in things like the Citizens Climate Lobby, in things like uh, the ICL, the Idaho Conservation League, in things like the Climate Action Plan for the City of Boise. We're really excited to be sitting there and hopefully, you know, we haven't had the meeting yet, of course, but hopefully get the opportunity to bring the work of Drawdown into what the city is doing and bring that messaging out to people as a, uh, hopefully, a possible solution to reduce our climate uh, impact here in Boise. Right. I mean, I, I was, yeah, I was curious, like, who, like, which groups you're looking to connect people with through these workshops, or if it's more about sort of what they can do when they go home, or they go, you know, sort of like talk about this with their friends, or if it's like, okay, this, these are the groups like you just spoke of. Um, should those be the groups that people are now hooking up with to, you know, on top of what you guys do, help them with, the, with what they're doing too? I mean, do you send people to certain organizations or, um, kind of activate them or is it more like education and then they their own stuff? <laughs> Sorry, puppy. <laughs> Combination because of the levels of action. If, if somebody in one of the videos in the workshop can see an example of, for example, they tell the story of, well, they use the example of your community or your workplace. So somebody might get inspired to imagine that their church or their school or their office building where they work, well, why don't we have solar panels? The school down the street does. Mm -hmm. And that person can 
take on that imagination of themselves as a leader to get something started. And they give the example that the community level is where you're known in your workplace. Can you talk to the boss? In your school, are you on the parent-teacher association? Could we start recycling all this trash from the games after school? Or it, it sparks at different levels for different people. And so it's a combination. Some people go join an organization and some people go start a project. And it, it, we're, trying to, we're trying to light the fire for whichever direction that is. And Kristen, um, as Michael said, we were on a roll from uh, March of 2019 to January of 2020. And we put on seven workshops and uh, we're, we're not a nonprofit. We're, we're just a bunch of volunteers. And so thanks to the, uh, the good people at St. Al's or whoever else had an auditorium where we could meet that they were willing to loan to us, um, uh, we put on these workshops. And as Ellen said, one of the other things we did um, as a result of these seven introductory workshops was an in-depth workshop. And one of the attendees had this big question about methane gas coming from landfills. So we said, okay, let's, let's go up to the Ada County landfill and see what they do with it. And sure enough, we went up there, got a wonderful tour by Teresa, who's uh, one of the people that run the landfill up there. And she showed us how they collect the landfill methane. That's from all the garbage that's decomposing. They put it into a generator and create electricity that they sent Idaho Power to, to power our houses. So um, it's a wonderful thing. Methane is a terrible, terrible greenhouse gas. It's much more potent than carbon dioxide. I think about four times more potent. So instead of all that methane going up into the atmosphere from the landfill, they capture it and they generate electricity. So like Ellen said, this person had this burning question and she found out what it was all about. It was a wonderful thing. And we got to see the good things the county's doing out there. So it's a win-win. And, and that's what Drawdown's all about. It's a win-win for everybody, you know, in a just, equitable uh, society that's sustainable. That's the goal. That's fantastic. And it is, yeah, I have heard that story, not just from your source, but from um, a radio story I heard. And it's, like, it's pretty cool that they're like, actually figure out what to do with that methane gas here in this this particular community and um that's a mitigation think? because we really don't want to be generating methane so <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, yeah. we're also working at the other end not to create methane but if we have some here's a way to do something with it so it's both sides <laughs> that's like a natural I mean, it happens if you have a dump you have like stuff in the ground and it like it decomposes and creates methane. Is that how that works? Yes. Yes. I remember, I mean, especially as a kid going to the dump and uh, in, in California where I lived. And then years later they built a, it was a landfill, I guess they would call it. And they went and they built a golf course on top of it mm. <laughs> after it was all filled, you know, and then they have these little tubes that all the methane was like escaping from beneath the golf course and like, Anyway, I don't know, Allison, what do you have for us on the, the, the drawdown front? Well, I'm, I'm wondering because, you know, that is the thing that's really appealing about drawdown is that it's focusing on these very specific solutions. And this might be kind of a tricky question to answer, but I'm kind of curious if you feel 
more optimistic in general, like working through this and doing these workshops or kind of what that experience has been personally for you? It's kind of, it's, it's, I mean, that's the interesting <laughs> piece of Project Drawdown in itself. Uh, the whole message is actually an optimistic message. Um, it is not a, the world is ending, we're all screwed. <laughs> it is a very optimistic message. And Paul Hawken, the author of Drawdown, uh, really focuses on this concept of, yes, this is happening. We can't deny this is happening. Yes, there's going to be effects of this. And, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're seeing them already, of course. Um, but we have a big opportunity on our hands to really make a difference. You know, knowing this work, finding your passion, being able to, to make those small commitments um, really, really can come in and make a difference. And I think we're all pretty strong believers in that. And, you know, we were, we were talking about this a little bit. Um, do we, it's, it's a complicated situation. You know, there is a lot of work to do. Um, we certainly can't speak for the future in any way, shape or form. But I really think that, you know, one of the keys here is, as we've all mentioned, people just finding their passion, taking actions, and really going from that level of taking actions on an individual level to friends and family, to community, to wherever people want to take this. Um, but definitely, yeah, definitely feel optimistic. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, but every, you know, I know we, we've got a lot of people who are out there who are really committed to this and are taking some great actions. And there's so many more people out there who have the ability and could be inspired to take more action. So. And Allison, the, um, the thing of it is, is it's, um, it's something everybody can get behind. Everybody likes green forests. Everybody likes clean air. Everybody likes clean water. Everybody likes fish to catch. I mean, it's not Republican or Democratic. It's, it's, it's life. And if it, I mean, um, it's a wonderful thing. Life is a wonderful thing. And um, it's something we need to nurture. And uh, everybody can get behind this. It's not Republican or Democratic. It's just life. And uh, we need it. And we need the earth to survive. So uh, uh, I, I don't know how else, uh, how else to go about it, but to you know, be positive and uh, try and make a difference. I find that in the workshops, the people in the participants respond to the idea that you can actually measure what difference something makes that seems to have a positive effect on people because the situation is can feel so overwhelming that people get paralyzed or distressed or you know this oh it's all over or that we can't turn it around or whatever and to look at it from well if you do this you can actually make this much difference and you can actually measure that that seems to be a framework that people can kind of uh, respond to and and that's what makes it more positive it's this is not a this is not a panacea or anything it's but it's measure what makes it positive is that it's measurable i think yeah. i think that's what people well, kind of go oh real oh oh and the fact that all these things are related the food sector being one of the main ones that people just go really food and then we delve into it a little bit more and so I think that those are some of the things that create a more um, forward-looking approach. Yeah, and I guess one of the things too, like in the like kind of the 
rounding out of the discussion, like what makes like drawdown as a book and as a movement, a thing that is actually able to do like keep people positive, but also sort of why is this, why was this like a breakthrough book in your minds? I mean, it seems like, you know, to, like you said, to have been like a coffee table book, but also was full of amazing science or is full of amazing science and also very, you know, 2017 to three or so years old and it's, so it's pretty contemporary in its science and like I don't know why did that become a thing that got glommed onto in your your minds you know sort of why is this a special book and sort of movement um, Paul Hawkins some years ago since the beginning of the 2000s started casting about for a, a comprehensive list of things to do solutions and he couldn't find one. Nobody had done a comprehensive list of solutions like this. And so he said, okay, I guess I will, or I'll, I'll get that done. So he called together his over 200 scientists to do all this research and they came up with a methodology to do this mapping, modeling, scaling, and the, all the carbon science and the money behind it. And they just kept at it. And it took them, I don't know, four years or something to, work through it all. So the book was published when they finished their work and they, they, they themselves said, we were surprised with the results. Who knew refrigerant management was going to be the number one? You know, nobody knew that. Or plant-rich diet number four. Nobody knew that. So it was a breakthrough in itself because it was kind of the first of its, of its kind to contribute to the whole panoply of environmental conversations or efforts or mitigation or whatever here here was a list that you could actually say this matters in this way to this extent and so it's a contribution to the whole the whole scene that offers this particular frame to help people mm -hmm. michael or john i for you what like makes this book like because you i guess michael we'll go with you first but both of you you know kind of got into the notion of activism if not just like just doing something about you know sort of the environment and changing something but in the garden there back in the day michael you know you did your stuff but then you came across like drawdown so as a book and a movement and maybe how did that shift or i don't know evolve your 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 notions of what you're doing now good question um so it's funny, uh, <laughs> running a business, no matter what your business is, is hard. Uh, reality, uh, it is not glorious uh, most of the time <laughs> in this situation. And I was going about the place a year and a half, something like that, about a year and a half into the business, where it was like, there's so much work to be done. What do we do? Uh, truly, that's where I was at, trying to figure out what the best possible route to go was, and this and that, and et cetera, et cetera. And how do I do this? How do I do that? Who do I need to call? Um, all valuable, but draining, um, to say the most, uh, in the process. So actually coming into the drawdown work really helped me find, I don't want to say find, the passion was always there, but reconnect with what my passions are in this world and reconnect with my own core. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's funny, you know, I, I moved out to Boise, I started this business, and the goal has always been to reverse and eliminate climate change. Um, and I think it's so easy to, when you're in it, to see all the bad, just like any other job, just like any other thing that you're doing. 
Um, and so much of the bad was hitting me in the face every day, not literally, but so much of the bad was right there, right in my face every day that I definitely got a little down and out about everything while trying to build this business and figure out how in the world I'm going to participate in this, um, and in this movement, uh, you know, in Boise, like I definitely had my connections in New York and had my people going and had projects going and life was good. Um, but knew that New York city for the work that I was doing at the time was not the ultimate place for it. Um, in terms of, you know, quote unquote, regenerative gardening or even regenerative agricultural projects, which we had a couple going. Um, so drawdown really helped me reconnect with my passion and see that it's not this massive amalgam of things that I have to do on a daily, on a daily basis. It's just find the passion, focus in on a couple of them, take the actions and off we go and off we go. <laughs> You're going. I like it. Maybe for you, John, what same question basically is that what made this like a, a, a turning point for you, this or this book sort of maybe just how it amped up sort of your passion. Yeah, I um Christian, I really liked um when Ellen and I did the first um first workshop, seeing the graphs and some of the uh, so positive um, talks by Paul Hawken. It just uh, it just lit my fire, and uh, you know, particularly um, the graphs of the carbon cycle being out of balance. It, it just blew me away. Where for eight hundred thousand years, you know, the carbon would go up and down, and the reason why it goes down is when we have photosynthesis, the plants take in a lot of carbon, so it goes down but it goes up and down and it's balanced and the oceans play a part and the plants of course and the soil and just to see that beautiful beautiful balance was amazing to me and then to see after the industrial revolution where it spiked um, up to 490 parts per million where the norm was about 300 parts per million of carbon that was the upper limit of the carbon and then it would go down but it would never go above 300 parts per million and to see how much impact us humans have had on the atmosphere was pretty amazing but then to hear paul say well we can do it we can bring it home we can bring carbon home and restore this live living ecosystem that the humans have with the earth because we're part of a living ecosystem with the earth and and um we really have to um you know be sure we know that and that we're part of something that's bigger than us, but yet it, it sustains us. And uh, yet we still have a big impact on it by burning fossil fuels and adding carbon to the atmosphere. So Paul Hawken has all these great solutions to bring carbon home and restore that balance. And, um, you know, hopefully, we can get back there and it just charged me up and I, I just I just kept working on it and trying to encourage other people to do what they can do, any little thing. Well, we're getting close to the end of the conversation. Allison, do you have a couple things to add in or like you, all three of you from the Drawdown team? I mean, what didn't we get to yet? I had a couple questions that are a little bit more general if that's okay, maybe like to close. Yeah. Because we obviously are the Story Fork podcast. We focus a lot on books and we've been talking about one specific book. But I'm wondering if there are other books about the environment or just about 
nature, any like books that celebrate nature that you particularly love, or if you have any other recommendations for our listeners? One of my favorite novels in recent years is a Barbara Kingsolver, but I can't remember the title. It's about the butterflies. Do you know it? I can't think of the title either, but I love her. I do love her as well, but I don't know the title of that book. It's a way to have a story of passion about nature through a novel. It doesn't have to be a science book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great book. I'm just going to look him up. His last name is Powers. Um, it's called Overstory. Have you guys heard of this book? No. It's, I mean, the overstory being like overstory of the trees and like all this, like this, it's, and I have not read it yet. I only read about it as a fairly recent novel, but I th- uh-huh. think it's Jacob Powers. I'm going to look it up real quick. But uh-huh. I, man, his interview on NVR was amazing. And it's just about, he gives life to the trees, <laughs> kind of in a Tolkien way, it sounds like. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's one I can, I can bring up. I don't know. I mean, Michael, as far as just more like even books on science or sort of like, like even reference books for you guys in your business, do you guys go hmm. there in uh, your library at your office or anything like that, or in the background? Any, any book recommendations? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's one. Uh, I have to look it up, of course. There is a great book. Um, and this... It's it's just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book um, by two authors. Sorry, I have it up. Uh, Richard Heinberg and David Fridley called Our Renewable Future, uh, subtitle Laying the Path for 100% Clean Energy in the U.S. or in the world. Um, oh, what a brilliant book. I mean, this really, it's, it's eye-opening in so many ways, you know, and I'm all for it. And I think we're all for it here. I think it speaks for everybody, this whole... Uh, moving to 100% renewable energy and the Green New Deal and all this great stuff that's being talked about and hopefully will happen um, in the future or now. Um, but this book really goes into two, uh, two founders of a nonprofit that focus on building out clean energy throughout the world. Uh, they started to look at, everybody wants to talk about, you know, this whole everybody should have clean energy, all for it, all for it, all for it. I'm not saying anything bad about it, but there's a lot of challenges to get there. There's a tremendous amount of challenges to get there on this actually. Uh, what do you call it? Um, preview of our energy efficiency one hour class. We'll definitely be talking about this a bit um, that it, on Zoom. Um, but there's a lot of challenges to creating 100% renewable energy, and some of them come so simply as a level of, like, our power grid itself is set up to be powered 24-7, 365 days a year. And solar and wind, while fantastic, fantastic technologies, um, do not have that capacity to power everything at 100% all of the time. There's a lot of upgrades that need to happen in battery storage um, to, to store all the solar energy, to store all the wind energy, the hydroelectric energy that we're, uh, that's being uh, generated right now. Um, and the book really gives a great dive into what it would take to create a 100% renewable energy future. And it's, it's both sides of the situation, which I think is fantastic. It goes over the pros and it goes over the cons. Um, and the cons are just as interesting as the pros in so many ways. It's just an interesting example from it. Uh, you know, we, like all countries in the world, we melt down ore, like iron ore or other ore, uh, <laughs> and make metals out of them uh, in the process. And 
just to build, just to be able to, to mine, which is a terrible thing for the planet, but just to be able to mine the ore and melt down the iron ore to turn it into like a steel beam takes about 1300 degrees Fahrenheit worth of temperature, which is astronomical. Uh, and the current situation right now, solar and wind cannot provide enough power to melt iron ore like that. Uh, so it's a really, really brilliant book that looks at the whole situation. Positive, yes, bring up a ton of positives, but also the reality of the situation, which I think is really important as well, just to kind of give us a roadmap of what we still need to get to in the process. John, do you have a favorite book? Yeah, I, I'd like to mention uh, natural capital. Um, we're um, spending nature's capital worse than uh, the American deficit. We are just um, using too much of Mother Nature's resources for Mother Nature to restore them quick enough. And we're in a deficit spending situation. And every year they come out with the, um, the overspend day. And I think it's up to like uh, in July now, and it started at December 31st, and now it's, we overspend Mother Nature's natural capital by about July 20th, it might even be further. So it's a wonderful book that says, if we keep um, using all these resources at the rate we are in this modern society we live in, um, there's gonna be nothing left. Another, uh, I'll just close with, Jane Goodall, she's one of my heroes, and um, she appears in, in video clips and her books and so forth, and I really appreciate how she emphasizes that, as Michael said earlier, one of her sayings is that you don't have to do everything, but you have to do, but everybody needs to do something. Mm -hmm. And she says it with that beautiful, soft voice in her over 80 years of commitment, and she doesn't stop. And she speaks with great compassion for all of us in our home without rancor or bitterness. And she, she just uh, is a great inspiration to me. So anything of hers is also a good in the mix. That's awesome. Yeah. Like I was making a little list of books. Or stories. You know, she tells the stories about the, the apes in Africa and mm -hmm. the stories of, you know, different species interacting and she's, you know, I think of her as like a story for it person. <laughs> <laughs> Can we afford her? Up. <laughs> if you just write her and ask her to come out, yeah. <laughs> we'd be happy to put her on stage. But yeah, I mean, that is like maybe, like I said, okay, it's Richard Powers, by the way, so who we should know. He's a fiction writer, but also a science human that writes about trees and this new novel, <clears throat> newish novel turns out is 2018, but uh, the overstory sounds like it's amazing. It's a bit of a tome of 600 pages plus, but uh, mm. that's one he talked about in a very captivating way that was about the earth and about sort of what we're doing to the earth and about the, and a lot about actually how trees communicate. So it, it sounded pretty awesome, yeah. but that's a different conversation. And you guys have been so awesome. And I do think, yeah, what we're trying to do, by the way, with StoryForward is to give voices, you know, to you all, like on, only on this podcast, but just like tell the narrative of, you know, 
what drawdown's all about and what the, the, the current state of the world <laughs> and the environment is, is something that we're looking to embrace all the more this year, next year, moving forward. So we really appreciate working with y'all. And also, um, gosh, I don't know, Allison, other final thoughts on how much we like the drawdown aspect of uh, what our programming is going to be in September of 21. Yeah, join us in September. <laughs> it's a year. I mean, it's, yeah, about a year out, folks, but that's okay. There's plenty to do. And like, okay, maybe final thoughts too. How do you give us your, your bona fides? Like, how do we get involved? How do people out there listening? Yes, okay. so we have a Facebook page. It's Project Drawdown TV for Treasure Valley. Um, a lot of the information that we talked about today is up on our Facebook page. So if anybody needs refreshers or reminders or wants to read further, definitely up there. Um, more will be coming as well. Um, as we keep on plugging probably too much, uh, we've got these one-hour drawdown sessions. You could take the too much out when you're editing, please. <laughs> as we keep on plugging, uh, we, we've got these one-hour drawdown sessions coming. Uh, in the One in the energy efficiency area, two focused on food, um, which are exciting. And you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can have some workshops again, given this state of the world. Uh, that would be awesome. But yes, definitely follow us on Facebook. Um, we'd love for more people to come and participate with us, of course. Um, that would definitely be exciting. So if you're passionate about sustainability or uh, wanting to know, you know more about what the heck is this drawdown stuff, um, definitely reach out to us via Facebook. It's one of the easier ways to get us all. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. And we're super to have, happy to have you on here. And uh, man, this is important stuff. But it's, you know, it's just complex, but I really do enjoy the idea of just even offering one thing somebody could do to set things on the list of 100. Just like, I can do that, you know, so mm -hmm. and um, it's me Christian, you can. I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> All right, then, there you have it. That's our episode. Allison Meyer, you were awesome. Ellen, John, and Michael from Drawdown, so good and interesting and informative. Uh, you can find out more about what they do at Project Drawdown Treasure Valley on Facebook and also at drawdown.org. I want to thank the eavesdrop folks at ease-drop.com. You can find out all about their podcast network. I want to thank Treefort Music Fest. TreeFortMusicFest.com is where you can find out about all things Treefort. We want to thank Up is the Down is the for providing our awesome theme music. And we want to thank you all for listening and for being, I don't know, enthusiasts of Treefort Music Fest. And in September 2021, we'll see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.